Hey guys, and welcome back to Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Waitley. And Marcus D. And guys, a few housekeeping things before we get started in today's episode. The first shout out we want to give is a big thank you to our newest patron, Dan. Thank you so much, man, for signing up. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it always feels really good when people appreciate our work and sign up to become patrons. Yeah, it gives you like a big boost of energy and enthusiasm just to kind of rush into making more content. Yes, it does. Um, and again, we always appreciate any kind of support that you guys show us, whether it's signing up to be a patron or just leaving us a like or leaving us a review. Oh, in comments, guys, we love reading comments just just start throwing them down there, guys. We'll read them. Absolutely, we do. And uh, I thought it might be kind of cool to start out today's episode by kind of going over some of the comments that we had in some of our last episode. So for those of you guys who remember the last episode, or last episode we were talking about the Baltic Sea anomaly. I always love talking about underwater mysteries, by the way. So one of the comments that we got for that, first comment we got comes to us from... Creepy California, who is a, uh, a frequent commenter on our stuff that I do remember. Creepy California says, what if the Baltic Sea Anomaly, what if it was a failed Nazi weapon or tech that crashed or they had to scrap? I've actually heard very similar stuff to this before, and I, I almost brought it up during the video. But there was a theory going around for a while that it was this... Um, Nazi anti-sonar device that, uh, because it apparently somewhat matches some of the specs for it. But although I had heard that before, I couldn't find a whole lot of information on it. That's why we didn't bring it up. But yeah, that, that's a cool idea. Yeah, the the Baltic Sea anomaly was one of the, a lot of the theories had it being that it might have been some sort of man-made crash tech or something like that. Um, I heard the Nazi theory before. I also heard, and I commented on this, on uh, by the way, that it also might have been a crashed Russian ship or a sunk Russian ship. Uh, they call them the the Novgorod. I think I said that right. But the Novgorod was like an actual like round warship that the Russians actually had back, I want to say, in the 19th century. Isn't that a city, Novgorod? I think it might have. That might have been what it was named after. But it was actually like this. There's actually like a famous like Russian warship that's like circular. Huh. So one of the things people thought that maybe it was something that one of those that was sunk or prototype <laughs> or just... One of those types of ships that was sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Neat. I don't. Th I don't think I'm familiar mm -hmm. with that ship. Mm -hmm. uh, K. Bennett. Uh, also, oh no, K. Bennett two five eight seven says I personally think that the Baltic Sea anomaly is an ancient temple from before the Baltic Sea was deep as it is. I also think it's possible the possible reason to cover up an archaeological site would be to hide civilizations not established by modern man. That makes a lot of sense, and also jives with my theory on it. Yes, it was. It was your th or what my original theory was going in until you stole it, and I had to run with a totally uh, different. You're theory, just mad I beat you to the punch. You're beat me to the punch. I want to know what secrets like these, like ancient coastline people, may have had that makes it so important to cover them up now. Like to me, I think if they're going to cover up a city that wasn't modern man, what it could be is an entirely different species of person. Oh, like this, maybe they're trying to hide the fact that Neanderthals were more advanced than we thought they were or something Or it was like just that. a completely different race of people that had this city. You know, and if you discover this archaeological record and there's this whole other species outside Neanderthal or Homo sapiens, you, we can't be talking about this. Maybe because, for whatever reason, they're more advanced, they're alien, whatever. Yeah, because one of my first thoughts were maybe they don't want us to realize how ancient man is. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we're constantly pushing back that date, and they don't seem to be too worried about that. Part. Like when we did our Project Bluebeam video on uh, on uh, that's on our that's on our YouTube, one of the things we talked about was people have used the archaeological record in history. They tried to alter it for their mm -hmm. own means, for political power, for to or to push whatever their agenda that that they want to push. So. Oh, yeah, they're not afraid at all to use it as a weapon to make a point. Yeah, so maybe if there's something down there at the bottom of the Baltic Sea that's not really jiving with what people are trying to say is, you know, 
what the accurate timeline is, maybe they don't want us to know that. Do you know something else that we should have brought up, particularly since how much you like talking about these? Hmm? Maybe it's like something that was erected by like an ancient race of giants. <gasps> Ooh, you love talking about I giants. Do, I do love talking about giants. Maybe it was. We should revisit this at some oh, point. Oh, we're going to come back to this. You know what this is? You know what, guys? You know what this is going to... Cape Benny just got me start thinking. I want to get some giant stories in there. I know we've already done one, but there's there's... There's tons of different ones to do. Tell you the truth, the giant thing is not really my thing, but anytime you want to talk giants, I do enjoy talking it from time to time. So if you want to do something else along those lines, ju just go for it, man. <laughs> I, I can be about this. I, the thing is, the giant stuff's really weird, and I love talking the really weird stuff. I do, t I do too. And I don't know what what it is just about like these just ancient large people that were just. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about, it, but I just I find it so interesting. It just. It pulls me in. Well, it's this multicultural like archetype that exists pretty much everywhere. Pretty much every culture has these stories of giants. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving on to the the last comment that I think that we're gonna do from this. Uh, this came to now we're not gonna say his name because he asked us not to say his name uh, based on the comment and what he was trying to tell us. But this person, oh. we'll just say it was from our friend. You know who you are. Yes, it wink, is. Wink. Yes, this came to us from Facebook. Um, he wanted to, he wanted, he recently commented on our Rendlesham Forest UFO, uh, podcast that we did. And one of the things he wanted to let us know was that, uh, he said that he knows Captain Victor Warzynski, I don't think I said that right, who was the Pacific, uh, the public affairs officer for the twin bases of Bentwaters and Woodbridge when the, uh, when the Rendlesham Forest UFO happened, he never went into detail, but he said that Colonel Holt who uh, was the head of the, of the base there, Rendlesham, that he was on a plane to Germany for debriefings literally the next day. He said also, uh, RAF, the Royal Air Force, Lincoln Heath, which is 20 miles away from Benton Waters, confirmed objects on radar, and it was reported that they also uh, saw uh, light from the objects. So he's kind of corroborating many of the stories that we, uh, that we get from the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Yeah, you might remember us kind of teasing this at the beginning of the last episode where we started bringing it up, but then we're like, uh, we better wait for this guy to get back to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 100% I, I believe that there was way more to that Rendlesham Forest story that was going on that Colonel Holt probably was not uh, letting on. And definitely, I think that if there was some sort of major UFO sighting, you can bet that somebody higher than Colonel uh, Holt was probably saying, hey, look. We got to be dealing with this, okay? Okay, black bag tip of the day. Frame a friend. Just frame him. <laughs> Your advice to people is frame a friend. Yeah, you're my fall guy. I'm the fall guy <laughs> for getting black bagged? Oh, yeah. This whole time, that's the whole reason that I'm here for the podcast. Not any kind of, like, you know, bringing in my well unique perspective on the paranormal. Well, there's that, and I also love you. Okay. Love that I'm slower than you, and that's what it is. <laughs> if he knows I've been practicing jogging... <gasps> And you do a lot of cardio. Yeah. Oh my god. I really am scapegoat to getting. But then, how often do I try to get you to jog with me? None, because you want me to get black back first. I ask you probably four or five times a year to be like, "Hey, you should start jogging with me." I would probably jog longer if I had a friend. That's your cover story, isn't it? Yep. Oh my god. Just gonna sell you out. To the men in black. Nah, nah I'm not gonna do that. Or am I? Dun, dun, dun. Okay, okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so moving on, guys. Today, we have got a good story for you guys. Now, I know we don't normally cover ghost stories on our podcast. Or anybody that really follows us on YouTube. Ghost stories really aren't our, I would say, bread and butter for a lot of our stories that we do. We're no, We're more like... It's Crypt. not. It's just not my jam. It's We're more cryptid... Boogeyman-y uh, stuff. Yeah, paranormal mysteries... But every now and then, a ghost story comes along that kind of, that kind of titillates us a little bit. That kind of gets us intrigued a little bit. The way you just said titillated there it makes me think your nipples are hard just talking about this. It did get a little, a little bit excited when I was uh, when I was reading this because okay. I was because what happened again when when we're sitting around I'm like you know we have not done a podcast like we have not really gotten into a good ghost story. I mean I know we did with Ricky. Before we go any further, I want you to take a breath and calm down before you put one of my eyes out with those things. I, got, I just, I like this story that we're going to do today. <laughs> it is a good story. It's a good story. Mm-hmm. 
We're going to do uh, the Shanghai Tunnels in Portland, Oregon. I really did not know Portland had this whole history of being weird and strange and stuff. I would call it a dark hidden history more than anything. Yeah, after reading up on this one, it gets pretty dark. You know, it's it's not really something that I think the town of Portland is really embracing a lot. It's not like something like, you know, where you go down to like um, uh, New Orleans. You know, they, they embrace their paranormal ghost history like no other. It's everywhere. It's They're all about it. Portland, Oregon, and the Shanghai Tunnels, not, not so much. Well, there's a lot of people in the city that kind of argue that it didn't happen, but there seems to be an awful lot of evidence that, yeah, this was a thing. Yeah, so the town of Portland was founded about 1845, and it's incorporated in about 1851. So as the town of Portland is being built, as the town is being built, you have all these shops being built, and as they're building the shops at the exact same time, they're building an underground tunnel system, which connects these shops together and leads down uh, to the Winnipeg uh, River, which again leads out to the uh, Pacific Ocean. Now, what the authorities of the town are going to tell you the reason about why these tunnels are there is they're going to tell you, oh, well, no, the reason why these tunnels are there is because as... Uh, ships are coming into port, they're going to be bringing trade goods uh, underground up to these uh, businesses because we don't want the uh, streets of Portland to look unsightly when they're with these transportation of goods going on. Like any of us have ever gone, you know what, look at that UPS truck over there. That, that's, oh, uh, screw that oh, guy. Oh, that's awful. Like, man, this, man. Like, I don't think I've ever looked at Vic and gone, man, you know, Evansville was a really nice town until these FedEx trucks started showing up. Is it the Amazon guys walking up with all the crud you ordered? And you're just like, oh, that guy. That guy who's bringing me that stuff I want. Ugh. It's like you're driving by, you see a mailman, you're like, oh, pull him up. Well, and even if that's what they were originally built for... That doesn't really discredit what they became used yeah, for. And they seem to be trying to do that. I, they seem to be coming up with about any excuse they can to say these weren't slave tunnels. And yeah, that's what we're talking about, about here, guys. Not yeah. not the good underground railroad slave tunnels. The other kind. Yeah. The re this is the reverse underground railroad. No, it pretty much is. Yeah, it is. It's the reverse underground railroad. So the town of Portland, Oregon was apparently famously known for... Uh, young men disappearing when they pulled into port and then getting sold into slavery onto some ships. Yeah, like there are a lot of ways they set this sort of thing up. And man, this is just such a weird thing. There is so many stories about how these people go missing. But I think I want to throw out one of my favorite ones real quick before we move any further. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you and your buddy come in off a ship. You decide that, you know, you spend the last several months just kind of sailing around you want to go in and kind of party but you've heard this rumor about oh a lot of people go missing this town so one of you guys decide let's say let's say i decide you know what you know ed marcus i'm gonna watch your back i'm just gonna sip on one beer the rest of the night and make sure nothing happens on you i'm gonna let you party it up and i get to go get drunk yeah Woo! so i plant myself at the entrance of the bar and just kind of hang out there and make sure that everything's going okay, okay. you go in and start partying and next thing i know it's dawn, and you never came out. That's because I'm such a, I'm such a heavy drinker. I can hold my liquor, man. I'm, I'm good. I can pound these down all day long. I'll be fine. So I go in and start investigating around, and you're nowhere in there, and there aren't any other exits that I can find. Well, what the heck happened to Marcus? Check this out. Many of the bars there, and some of these like dead drops, you can still find. Well, Marcus is out there drinking at the bar. After he's good and sloshed, the bartender has this little lever he can pull and a little buzzer. The buzzer buzzes down two people below the building down in the tunnels, letting them know they're about to have a guest. Then he pulls a lever and the floor drops out below Marcus. He falls in. The guys grab him, drug him, and get him ready to be shipped off to slavery. Well, me, I don't know, any, I don't know what's going on. And one of the big things is the bars there were encouraged to get people pretty much blackout drunk. Like, literally everyone in the bar blackout mm. drunk. So that way, all the witnesses are drunk, too. Damn, like, uh, was there a guy there? Is like, there, he may have been there. I can't really remember too much. Ah, shut up, you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a crazy... Yeah, this, this is a whole 
subversive system yeah. built to just steal people. Yeah. So you know, I you know now Marcus me is I'm I'm captured now by all of these like terrible people, and they pretty much they're. The, well, the first thing they're going to do is give you the opium yeah, drops. Yeah, yeah. They, they give you essentially these drugs because they got to get me onto the ship. Now, keep in mind, in order for this plan to work, for people to get, like, sold into slavery on these ships, they have to keep you asleep for a very long period of time. Almost, like, 12 to 16 hours. Because, again, if I wake up on a ship that I don't know what's going on, I'm going to try to jump off the ship and try to swim for shore. So they got to keep me drugged from the time that I'm down underground until I'm on the ship, until the ship sails all the way down river out to sea. Because at that point, what's you going to do? Yeah. Well, a lot of people died for them while they're doing this and for them to come up with their clever practice of doing this. Well, I kind of think about this. Opioids are really dangerous and it's really easy to kind of screw them up. That's why we have doctors prescribe them in specific doses. Your average gang member and slaver isn't going to know the proper dose for you. Speaking They're just going to put out as much as they think is going to work. Speaking of uh, speaking of doctors prescribing medication, did you know that there was a doctor in that town that was actually prescribing medication to these uh, Shanghaiers? Oh, is this the guy who um, came up with a formula on how much to give someone? Yeah, Doc. I think it was called. I think it was Doc Baker is what he was yeah, called. Yeah, he was actually really anti the slavery though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, we don't want people to die. We don't well, like. Well, he really didn't want people dying, but he, you know, yeah. he's like, he goes. So I guess my Hippocratic oath is going to make me. I have to figure out how to keep people alive. So he makes like three pills: the little one, the medium one, and the big one. Yeah, he was like, he didn't like this the whole slavery thing that was going on, but he's like, well, if it's going to happen, maybe the good I can do in this is mitigate how many people die from opium overdose, which I guess half applause for? Gets, I don't I don't really gets, know. He, this is a slow clap for you, Doc Baker. I, I wouldn't quite call him a good guy in this story, but I guess his heart was in the yeah. right place. And sure enough, the deaths from the opioid overdose does drop after that point. Yeah, because he made like an idiot-proof plan to drug people. Well, it's not quite idiot-proof. It was just, if they're a small guy, give him the small one. If they're a medium guy, give him the medium yeah. one. If they're a big yeah. guy. Any any dumbass could figure this out. Like, oh, big, he's bigger than me, so he's got to get the big one. Those are still some pretty subjective terms. <laughs> and also, right along, guys, we're going to get to the ghost portion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we got to... It leads into... Any good ghost story's got to have a, a good, a good story. History. Yeah, a good history leading into this. And I just... I found this, like, just so... Just so bizarre that... All of this is going on, and nobody's getting caught. Well, the thing is, it's part of a foundation of corruption that they had built up upon. Much of it was very organized. Like, there's this guy, when you pull into port, he'd come by and be like, Oh, hey, I see that some of your men are going in. Um, well, what you what we're going to do here is you're going to pay me a certain amount of money, and I'm going to make sure they don't disappear. <gasps> Good sir, I would do no such thing. I will not dare pay you money to keep my men safe. Take, take your extortion records and be gone from my sight. To which he would say, well, I look forward to doing business with you later. And then he would. Yeah, and then sure enough, he would just make sure that guy's uh, ship people would get captured. And then when it was time for them to leave port, he'd come back and go, oh, you seem a little understaffed. Yeah. For 50 bucks per head, I'll give you your guys back. Um, I bet he went, well, I was going to say 50, but since you were a dick, it's 52 now. Yeah, probably. There's <laughs> an upcharge for your rudeness, sir. But man, yeah, people were making a lot of money off this on the side. And uh, they seem to have had a pretty advanced racket going on. Basically, the more I dig into this, the more I realize there's like, there's an organization here. There's an infrastructure to this whole thing. There are plans on plans on plans going on here. Do you know, like, there were also, like, uh, some booby traps in the tunnels and stuff, too? What now? There, there were some booby traps for, like, areas where um, the Shanghaiers would commonly travel. People would um, hang tin cans up on strings. So if someone was going through there and they heard that sound, then, um, then like, they'd know it's time to get out of here. There's traps upon traps in this. They know what Oh, yeah. People... Oh, also, like, yeah, there's also the glass traps. Check this out, guys. In the, uh, in the discussion earlier where Marcus was getting kidnapped, the kidnappers would also take his shoes. You know why? 
You want to tell them, Marcus? Do you know this one? Well, they're going to take my shoes? Yeah, do you know why? Because my shoes are nicer than theirs. No, I'm an up-decent up citizen, and they're a they're terrible criminal. I forgot. Yeah, I should never use you as an example when it comes to shoes. Marcus is obsessed with shoes. I am obsessed with shoes. No, what they do is they leave broken glass pretty much everywhere down there. So if for some reason Marcus woke up and tried to run, he's running through broken glass, and they could probably track him back down. Could you imagine the horror of you, you wake up, you're drunk, so you're already disoriented as is. And you've been drugged probably by this point. Maybe just something happens. You wake up in a dark tunnel. You have no idea where you're at. You're missing your shoes. There's people trying to grab you. And now you're running through like glass glass, and a booby-trapped tunnel system. This is just straight hell. And the amount of people who had to die here, the amount of anguish, that whole theory of like this sort of emotional energy charging an area and making it a conduit for later spiritual activity... I do believe that this would be charged. I do. I do too. Like this is building up to a big, to to a big deal for me, on on why I would believe that ghost activity would occur. Like why ghost activity would occur in a place like this. Because, like the the thing about like I, I'm sitting here wondering how this could go on. But also on top of that, if you wonder like how how this practice is done, it's not like just some sort of gallant white knight rides in to the city of Portland to stop this from going on. Okay, at all. Okay, in fact, the only thing that really happens is, is like kind of like the, the US government kind of comes up with a plan like, "Oh, we're going to we're going to pass some legislation. I think it's like 1872 or something. Where we're going to make it that you have to sign up with some sort of official, like government official to work on a boat." That doesn't stop any of this here in Portland. No. At all. The reason that it stops in Portland, why Shanghai stops in Portland, why this trafficking stops, is because of the invention of the steamboat. Okay, because with the, stem, the invention of the steamboat, now all of a sudden you these boats are steamboat and you don't need as many people manning the boat. So the reason this practice stops has absolutely nothing to do with some sort of like, you know, moral awakening that the town has. Not just some sort of law enforcement person coming in to crack down on this. It's literally because technology made the practice obsolete. It, it's a sad, it's a sick, sad world, man. Yeah. But, like, think about trying to be the marshal coming in and stopping this scenario. I mean, you let's say you've heard some rumors about what's going on in Portland and you go in, you're, they're going to try to bribe bribe you to get rid of you. And even if you don't take the bribe, you're dealing with deep entrenched gangsters and probably politicians doing everything they can to stop your investigation. And I don't think these people would be above just killing a marshal. The thing that I never understood is why would people come to Portland if they know this is going on? Like, like you roll into town as a, as a person in a boat. Rumors of this probably are going to be getting out that there are just places not to go. And yet, people this still happens to people in Portland. They still get abducted. Like, if I'm rolling up in a boat, I don't know if I'd get off the boat. I know, like, some of the reasons the boat's going to want to target Portland, why your captain wouldn't want to avoid it, because um, it is a major port. And also, apparently... Uh, you know, like, when you're out at sea, the boat builds up barnacles and things like that? Mm -hmm. Apparently, taking them up into the into the river there um, helps kill those barnacles so you don't have to go to a dry dock. Okay. Uh, that would definitely be the incentive for the captain to want to port there. But uh, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I think if I knew this town's reputation, I would stay on the damn boat. Mm -hmm. But I guess cabin fever is a thing, too. I mean, well, I mean, it wasn't even just booze that got people off the boat, too. But it was a it was a prostitution ring in the brothels that were going on in Portland at the time, too, to get them off the boat. Now, these guys have been on this boat for months, and they got no one to keep them company. What, what, what was it called? The House of Negotiable Affection? <laughs> wow, just not even... Wow. No, that is... I'm not pro brothel, but if you're going to have a brothel, that's what it should be named. I don't know, man. That's like a that's like a step below just five dollars and we'll do it. <laughs> like, uh. I me and Ellie were hanging out when we heard that name, and we're just both like, what? <laughs> Is that seriously what it was called? 
We're listening to, oh goodness, I know I'm going to screw up his name, Michael Jones? Was Michael his? Jones. Oh, I got it right. Michael Jones, one of the guys, um, he's basically the self-appointed guardian of uh, of these underground tunnels, and he's a really neat guy. If you do yeah. any digging into this, you're going to run across and, him. And you can go on YouTube and listen to him talking about the tales and stuff of, of these Portland tunnels. And guys do it he is a character character. he He is is fun i like this guy's passion for these underground tunnels made me passionate about these underground tunnels like like don't get me wrong like i when it comes to like ghost tours and stuff i'm not really big on ghost tours and that kind of touristy trap but he 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 sells it to me you know like it it, it, it's i don't know (sighs) yeah he's a tour guide that i'd want like i went on one of these in oxford england and oh my freaking god, the guy running the ghost tour was, the whole thing was super campy, but the guy leaned into his role so much. Like, I think one of my favorite parts is he gets to this area where, um, I think it was his book collector went, went missing, I don't remember the details of it, but he opens up this fake book, and it has like a built-in lighter in it, and the guy, <laughs> the guy was just so over the top, I loved it. Like, I, I will take a ghost tour if I think it has an awesome leader. Um, but going, but going back to the, you know, how horrible of an environment this is down here. Like, I think that that itself could lead to a person becoming so traumatized when they die, their spirit would get attached to something, you know, that would get attached to an area, would get, would get attached, would, would, would linger around. Oh yeah. This place would be incredibly emotionally charged. Uh, like, People who are who are kidnapped in this way, they would be gone for six years. They would take them on this voyage. They would have no control of their life, and they'd be a slave for the next six years. If you knew that, if you figured out what you're getting into, that's pretty terrifying in itself. And it would be pretty terrifying as well if you didn't know, if it was just yeah. that scenario you set up earlier where you're just in the dark and you don't know why. I couldn't even imagine just the, trauma, the traumatized soul. That would linger in a place like this just for year, for year, for years and years and years. I kind of hope it's not the soul itself being trapped there because that's a terrifying idea. Mm. I, I kind of hope that it's just the area becomes emotionally charged and it makes it kind of a magnet for paranormal encounters. Well, but I really hope these guys' souls aren't still down there just wandering around. Well, I mean, that kind of like leads up to the question when it comes to ghosts. Like, is it... A piece of their soul that's being tethered to this place, or is it just a piece of their psychic residency? Just I guess just like an imprint of them being just left in this place, or an imprint of the activity being left in this place. And there's so many theories on the why of ghosts. It's really hard to. Think. That's why I try to focus on the experience of ghosts, not the why, or not so much the documentation. Well, it leads you to a really dark place, thinking <laughs> that you could be trapped in a place. That was so traumatizing for you. Oh yeah, it'd be terrible. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about some of the some of the paranormal encounters people have down there. You know, you get with any kind of real haunted place. Of course, you're going to get the disembodied voices, eerie, spoopy feelings when yeah, the, you're down there. The murmurs from the dark, which I think is way more not so much interesting, but way more intimidating. When it's a dark underground tunnel, like, there's something about these underground places in the world mm. that add a little extra layer of both interest, intrigue, and just creepiness. And hearing hearing like just disembodied murmurs, I think would be a little extra creepy from there. It would, especially since not only there's the entire tunnel system itself is not complete. There's some collapsed tunnels that are down there. So I'm you know, some of these murmurs are coming from some of the collapsed parts. Yeah, there's been a lot of renovations over the city, and they often have to kind of destroy parts of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is people grabbing onto clothing, like disembodied hands grabbing clothing is really commonly uh, commonly reported. Mm-hmm. You'll get apparitions from some different ghost teams that have been down there before and stuff like that. They'll claim that they've seen stuff like that down there. Shadow people run the gambit down there, which... If you guys have ever listened to our, you know, topics on shadow people, this place would be rife. Oh yeah, I think for shadow people. If if our theory is correct on shadow people and they're drawn to that negative emotion that can saturate an area, yeah. this would be a feeding yeah. ground. Yeah, this is hotel shadow people. Like I'm a little surprised there aren't 
more accounts of shadow people there mm-hmm. and they're they're very fairly regularly reported me just because it's so dark they're extra hard to spot yeah they're just down there you're just not seeing them Ugh. yeah that's kind of creepy but let's see what what else there's one other thing that i remember that was being reported a lot but what was it oh yeah that's right a mysterious dark apparition in a black dress commonly referred to as nina really oh yeah um, at least according to the folklore, she was a American Indian woman who was kidnapped off uh, the banks of the river. She was brought back, sold into slavery, and then the story gets a little muddled at that point. I've heard accounts that she was a prostitute. I heard account that she was a seamstress. And then the means by which she died is also very, very vague. But, and I've also heard some people argue that they're, the only reason they call her Nina um, is because they there's a brick down there with that name on it. And I've heard some people argue that they really don't think that was actually her. Mm. But it's just basically this mysterious apparition who I almost wonder if instead of being a ghost, um, might be one of those uh, more advanced shadow people that sometimes appear, You kind of like Hatman. There's often a description of a girl in a, uh, a shout person in a black uh, dress with a veil on. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, maybe could it be something like that? But maybe it's just because I haven't gotten a really detailed description of Nina yet. Okay, so Marcus, mm-hmm. given the chance to go to Portland, Oregon, would you go there? Yes. So I would absolutely go investigate this place because I would love to know more like a good visual about what the underground system actually looks like like how expansive is it really like how like how big it is like that's something that I would want to know because I think that if you if you knew how big something like this was it would probably definitely give you a picture to show like how extensive of a traumatizing horrible network this thing probably was. I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to put an asterisk in there. I would love to go investigate this place, but not in part of a tour group. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't... And this is my... I, there are several paranormal investigators I work with, and I often upset them, and this leads to... Like, me and um, Ryan from Two Girls and a Ghost got into kind of an argument on this one once. I and when I'm on a case, I tend to be a little bit of a lone wolf. I like I will work in a small pod with people, but the thing is, I want the autonomy to just go out there and be part of the paranormal. I don't always want to be shackled down right next to another person in the group. Now, like say if it's someone like Marcus who's more than willing to just kind of wander around with me and stuff, I'm all about having him there, but because well, I don't want to be guided on an investigation. Yeah. Like, nobody wants to be guided when they're trying to investigate because what I find interesting and fun important might not be what this tour guide finds important. And also keep in mind, you're going on a tour, you're going with a bunch of people you don't know, probably, you know, and it's just weird. You know, I don't know these people. I don't trust these people. I may not know what these people are, you know, if they're going to freak out on me while they're out there because the one thing that I hate more than anything is going on in a paranormal investigation and then someone just flips out, freaks out. Don't get me wrong, I'm dramatic, but when I go on an investigation, I'm not one to go, oh my god, this is gonna happen, like, and freak out, like, while I'm there, I'm actually pretty, pretty low-key. Yeah, and, like, another person that I talk a lot with is actually one of our patrons, Ricky from Mount Vernon Paranormal. Love you, man. Love going on investigations with you. He is a great person to go on investigations with. And I team up with him all the time. I love doing investigations with him. And, like, Ricky's always on my case, like, Vic, you, you know, like, when you're off by yourself, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of situations. But the thing is, like, I, I think I mentioned this in the last video, is, like, when I started as an investigator, I didn't start investigating with people. It was just me on my own out there. And I'm very... I guess I've just become used to just kind of being in these situations by myself. And I actually, I, d- I don't mind being with a group. I Like, if I'm going out to a group place to investigate, like, say, if we're going there, bringing a small group there and stuff with us, the people that I know, I'd be all about that. But there's every chance I'm going to wander off. I'm going to let someone know where I'm wandering off to. I will maintain radio contact. But if I see something and I want to follow it, I'm going to go. Yeah. But again, you want, again, I always 
this is just, to me, smart paranormal investigating. Always having at least a buddy with you. A paranormal buddy with you. I don't, I don't believe in going to places by yourself. Yeah, that's the that's the problem. I, I will I will totally go off on my well, own. No, I think it's irresponsible. I really do. I think it's irresponsible to go out when you're dealing with an entity that, or you may encounter an entity that you're not prepared to encounter, and nor should you try to encounter by yourself. Maybe I'm just a self-destructive rogue. Then. I, maybe <laughs> I'm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I know there's plenty of people out there that that talk about doing it, and they you know they feel like nothing's going to open to them if they're there with a group. But I mean, this is just. To me, I'm gonna play it safe. I think you should. I think you're out and you're in a, and you're in a dangerous area. I think you should always have somebody else with you. And truthfully, it's not a bad idea. And if I go off trail and stuff, like uh, remember when we were doing the Black Eyed Kids investigation with um, with Ricky that one time when we were kind of out around that uh, abandoned town area. And for the most part, it's just me and you constantly on the move because I like to be the person who's constantly on the move looking for stuff. But then when we heard that sound off in the woods, and I thought I had an idea of where the sound was coming from, I let you know exactly where I was heading, and then I sprinted off into the woods. Mm -hmm. And I even told you, I'm only going to go X amount of strides. I think I said, I'm only going to go 50 strides into the woods. And then I took off running, yeah, counting you, my strides. You did say strides. Yeah. Which was kind of odd that you said strides. Well, the but... thing is, like, I don't know how long a foot is out there. <laughs> the only real measurement I have is my steps. So I just took 50 strides into the woods chasing it. 50 slight hops. And the thing is, like, when I got to where the sound was coming from, like, there were some more sounds, but then there's no... I couldn't tell what direction things were coming from. It sounded like things were falling out of the tree on me. Well, so keep in mind, whenever you investigate a place, it's... The story is always going to be more convincing when you have a corroborating witness that goes with you to say they heard this too, they saw this too, or anything like that. Yeah, but I'm I'm not going to to I'm I'm very interested in the experience, the personal experience of the paranormal. That's my main focus. And if I have a chance to go have that experience and understand the experience of the paranormal better, I'm going to take it. I'm going to jump off the cliff and go running after it. I'm not going to let any of the rules slow me down on that. I'm going to go. <laughs> like the story's still going to be cool. Just, there may just be one less person to corroborate the story. I, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm trying to figure it out for myself. If, and if I have evidence, that's great. If I don't, that's fine with me. Mm. But the thing is... If I think I have a chance to follow that experience and get a greater under personal understanding of it, screw whatever rules there are, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take off after that thing. If I have a chance, I'm going to tell you guys where I'm going. I've like As a survival instructor, I know well enough that you can get into a dangerous situation if no one knows where you're going. So I'm going to say where I'm heading and then I'm going to go. What survival person says run off somewhere by yourself? They generally don't, but also, like, most of my career as a survivalist. Like, take away your survival instructor card running off to places by yourself. I don't know. Like, I'm just one of those people. If I have the chance to leap for it, when it comes to the paranormal, I'm going to take the leap. Mm -hmm. Like, if people can keep up, up with me chasing after it, great. I want more people to be there. It's not that I don't want people to be there. It's just I'm not going to sacrifice my opportunity to go for it to like you know to, to follow like a preset plan but bring it back to the shanghai tunnels because we're talking about this i think investigating the shanghai tunnels is gonna be difficult because i'm willing to believe that the areas of the the tunnels where there's probably a lot of activity have probably been collapsed that's likely true well some some of the drop areas are still there and some of the cells they have, because they do have cells down there that they would store people in. Some of those are still around, but not a, not a ton of them. Mm -hmm. Like, I was listening to, um, was it Michael Jones? Mm -hmm. <coughs> I was listening to Michael Jones talk, and he was talking about how, like, during different exp expansive parts or attempts to expand the city, like, huge swaths of, uh, of the tunnels have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. So now you're kind of like down to these very select touristy parts of the of the tunnel system, unfortunately. And I would not go, I, I might go on a tour for the kitsch of the whole thing, but not as a serious investigation. It, mm -hmm. It's, though I've never enjoyed being on a tour where it's supposed to be an actual paranormal investigation just because, well, yeah, I'd rather have a, nothing happens, it's too yeah. constraining. 
So, do you think that this is a place that is going to have paranormal activity? Like, do you think this is a place that would, that, that's going to leave something behind? I Me and, uh, you, you remember Walker Colt, right? I do. Me and him used to talk at, for long lengths of time about what makes a area haunted. And we would talk a lot about the area being mo- emotionally charged by tragedy. Based on that sort of thinking, I would definitely say yes. Yes, this this would be a prime area for haunting. So, I'm going to pitch another idea to you. Do you think a place can... So, if a place can be emotionally charged to be haunted, do you think that it can be emotionally charged the other way? De-haunted? I guess, is that a word? No, I, I think... You don't think enough people coming through this area, like tourist after tourist after okay, tourist let, after let, tourist? Okay, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Are yeah. you saying can it be emotionally, de- or fixed by being emotionally decharged by having too much mundanity go on, or be emotionally charged in the opposite way by having positive emotion? Man, let's go with, like, mundane. Like, do you think that bringing tours through the Shanghai tunnels could make a place less emotionally charged and thus lead to less paranormal activity? Oh man, that's a fascinating thought. I've never really thought about the paranormal in the idea that you could use mundanity to counterbalance it. No, I actually no. I think it, it resists that because think about um, when you have a haunted house, okay. and then people start to renovate it to um, try to make it like a new home. Usually, the paranormal force there then tries to resist it, lashes out more, becomes more aggressive, more violent. I. I think that, although maybe it could be possible, I think it's going to definitely resist it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost bet that having the tours causes more paranormal activity. Do you think so? Yeah, because I think that, that that sort of sense of mundanity is going to bring up a certain level of, of resistance. Now, the question is, like, when they're collapsing part of the tunnels, do the ghosts there just go berserk? Because <laughs> it seems like when like there's ever any major renovations... The ghosts haunting the area usually go nuts, and I feel like collapsing a tunnel would be a major renovation. <laughs> but the thing is, is, eventually, you know, would they get stuck to that particular area? Would they move to another part of the tunnel? Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, I'm not totally convinced ghosts are, like, bound souls to an area. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not 100% convinced it's not. Like, ghosts so, really isn't my big thing. I'm... I prefer more like boogeyman as sort of things or cryptids or goblins or UFOs. I don't dislike ghost hunting. I enjoy it, but it's not really my cup of tea. Because you would think then, again, if you're collapsing all these tunnels, this would just then force the ghosts maybe into other parts of the tunnel, thus creating more paranormal activity. But I don't think that seems to be the case. If if we're assuming that the haunting is conscious of itself and self-aware of itself, maybe to (laughs) them, the tunnel doesn't really change. Well, I think if you, I don't know, I think there might be something to this idea that bringing more, a different type of energy to an area can, can alter it. Because again, if you just have like just an average area, it takes something negative to, to leave an imprint on an area that like, you know, someone passing away or someone dying or something. And that's, that's why there's this activity that's here. But if you bring enough dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people with their own energy and their own different thing to an area, how does that not throw the energy of an area off and change it? It might charge it though. Like maybe it's not necessarily, they need the same emotion that created, that created the haunting, that dread and that, um, that anguish. Maybe the, maybe to sustain itself, it just needs emotion. Mm -hmm. So maybe, not only does it not decharge it, maybe it amplifies it because they have that constant feed of emotion. But we're getting into some very theoretical areas, oh, I which know, I'm, I know. I'm fine with. Which, I yeah. just want to point out. No, no, I'm, it's just it just wonders that it just it just it makes me wonder what I think about this because we have, we don't talk about ghost stuff on the podcast a whole lot, but this is the stuff that goes through my head. You know, and you think about this for a lot of people when they when a place is being cleansed or something this huge element of something about it that, that comes from it is a change in the the energy that you're that you're bringing to it you're doing something differently so i i wonder if there's either a a conscious effort by people when they set up tourist areas outside of just money of of this is what they're trying to do is like decharge the area or be 
maybe they're tr maybe they're trying to just again just profit on this area. I don't know, but okay. First, uh, when it comes to this one, I want to say I think this is an ambient haunting. Okay. I because the thing is like most of the description you get about this place, it's the it's kind of the stereotypical ghost stuff, touching, murmuring, seeing things for short periods of time. It, it seems like it's an area that's more of an ambient haunt than an intelligent haunt. Because I haven't, although there's, there's only a limited amount of information I was able to find about the actual ghost encounters, I didn't really come across anything where it seemed to have its own intelligence behind it. More like just echoes from the past. Yeah, like a person just, just walking, like there's just this echo of a person that's yeah. just walking, like just in... Just in the hallway or like in the corridor or and something. don't get me wrong. Intelligent hauntings are out there. I can definitely say that because I've encountered intelligent hauntings before. But this just doesn't seem to have the hallmarks of it being an intelligent haunting to me. Yeah, I would believe that this is an area maybe at this point of only shadow people. You think so? Maybe. You know, again, an area that where a ton of people have died. Yeah. It's a horrible place. Shadow people would love it. And then here comes a whole bunch of people to give them attention down into an area to be scared. No, no, that drives, that drives. Yeah. I don't, okay, let me put it this way. I think your theory is valid. Yeah. But I don't think it's the actuality of it. I don't know. I don't know, man. I but mean, I think it's a valid theory. Yeah. Okay. It definitely makes sense. But I don't, I don't know. I think this place is legitimately haunted, but ambiently. Mm -hmm. I'm... I'm, to me, I think this place is a, it's just a shadow person playground. It's something bad happened there. There's now people coming down with the intent of having an emotional experience. Yeah. Which is just, has the makings of just a shadow person buffet. They would be all for people. Shadow people would be all for people coming down to be scared, terrified, spooked. Well, and they, and they could do all, they could do all these sort of like spooky, like spooky things that they're yeah. seeing down there. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah, we, my view. yeah, we want to know what you guys think on this. I mean, we could argue about this also, all day long. I want your guys' advice. Is my perspective on the paranormal too cavalier? Should I be more cautious, or do you think I'm heading in the right direction to find the truth? Let, let me know. <laughs> Personally, I think my behavior is appropriate, but I've, I've had, I, like you said, I've had this argued out before. Maybe yeah. my, maybe my perspective is a little cavalier. I know. Or more, am I right that maybe you should always be having a buddy with you whenever you go to these paranormal places, so you have someone to be pulling you from the deep end? I just think you, you should often have a buddy. Often have a buddy. <laughs> but yeah, let us know what you guys think in the comments below about that. And thank you to all of our patrons that make all of this possible. You guys are so awesome, and you guys are definitely uh, so appreciated around here. And speaking of that, we're going to be moving on to our Patreon content yes, part of this. Yes, we are. We're talking, we call it the, the pillow talk parts of this. Yeah, we realized that we weren't making it very clear that the second half of it is yeah. really more just Patreon content. Because one of yeah. our friends was like, oh, you, you were there for it. Yeah, he's like, oh, well, yeah, well, you guys were telling me your stories and then just cut off. So he thought this was like a mechanical glitch that like music was playing in as I was talking about my story about a shadow person encounter. And I was explaining to him, I said, no, that's, that's for our patrons, like, if they want to keep listening, because there's a whole extra 15 minutes, almost every episode, uh, where we continue talking about some sort of subject, or we move on to, to something else in the paranormal, which for today in our Pillow Talk, uh, we're going to be talking about a really kind of interesting charged uh, uh, topic. Is this world a paranormal... <laughs> Is this world a paranormal battlefield? Mm -hmm. So if you guys want to check out that conversation, make sure that you guys go over to our Patreon and sign up so you guys can get this awesome content. But for now, guys, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. Okay, I think this conversation has been building for a while over the years. Yeah, I really kind of pushed this one because we got that... We got a message from someone asking us about white sh uh, white shadow people, and that mm -hmm. just got me thinking about some of the stories involving white pe shadow people, black shadow people, and aliens. Yep. We've had this before, <laughs> you know, and any any sort of paranormal entity. It almost seems like there's this dichotomy of just some other entity or some other thing that's out there. That, that goes along in tandem with it, okay? And you can find this all over the paranormal, okay? 
black shadow people, white shadow people. Black eyed um, kids, white eyed kids. kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, a, uh, alien act, uh, UFO spottings, uh, Bigfoot sightings. And some people do say the reason why Bigfoot's seen around the t- are in areas with UFOs is because Bigfoot's there yeah. to combat it. Now, I don't know what his derpy, peanut butter-loving butt's going to do to stop the UFO invasion, but I bet he's going to hey, try. Hey, there are some aggressive Bigfoot stories. There's, there's, some, there's some muscular Bigfoots out there that I think that would throw down with an alien. Yeah, okay? but there's also a lot of stories of him, like, incompetently trying to steal apple pies in loving peanut well, butter and all what, sorts of crazy you know stuff Maybe like that. he's the Gomer Pyle of the I, soldiers, okay? <laughs> I kind of think he might be. Maybe every single platoon has got the weak link in the chain, okay? Like the wheel that's the square instead of the circle, okay? Like they, they say like, even especially with a like mystical Bigfoot aspect, is that he's kind of more of this like spiritually in touch ascended being. So I almost wonder like, if spiritually he's very intelligent, but standard IQ-wise he's not. It's like people who have a high social IQ, but not a...